This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. And I can disclose, um, despite all the rumours, that he is not wearing his lederhosen whilst we are recording this. But he is fresh from the beer houses of Munich. Pete, how are you doing? How's the van as well? Yeah, very good. Back on the road now. So, uh, yeah, can't really have too many complaints. Have I mean, some, you're uh, good beer in Munich. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine there was. Um, I mean, you, you're obviously uh, your European tour is coming to coming to something of an end um, uh, in the in the coming weeks. I think I think three or four weeks, something like that, and you're back. Um, but there is a little bit of talk within the Albion community that um, that they're going to have a bit of a whip round to keep you out there, mate. Because results since you since you went. Have massively taken taken an upturn. We don't concede goals anymore, and uh, and uh, and we've uh, we've flown into the top five. Well, yeah, going to need a, a few quid to get a heater in here as well, then, because it's starting to get a bit cold. But um, yeah, performances have been been really good, and yeah, it's just everything seems to be clicking now and, and getting wins as well as you know the keeping clean sheets and scoring goals and moving up the table. So all is good. Absolutely. And obviously that continued with an excellent 2-0 victory away from home at Coventry City, a side that doesn't generally lose at home. They might be a little bit down the league table. Um, but I mean, uh, and I want to start with challenging that, Pete, because people will people will look at the league table and they will say, well, OK, you've beaten a Coventry side that's 20th in the, in the league. And whilst that is factually true, I don't think that's necessarily reflective of what we did. I thought Coventry were actually very, very good in large parts of the game. I thought in terms of energy and industry, that they're, they're absolutely unbelievable. And they've got some threats up front. You know, Hadji Wright cost a lot of money. Obviously, Ellis Sims as well. They've got Callum O'Hare coming back from injury. And actually, when you look at the league table, I because uh, people will say, uh, you know, uh, great, I'll be in a fifth, but... 
they've played a lot of teams who are not in the greatest of form, or we've caught teams at decent times, and that might necessarily be true, but the reality of the situation is, okay, our next uh, six games are the team in first, the team in second, the team in fourth, the team in sixth, the team in seventh, and the team in eighth. So I accept that we're playing a lot of the teams towards the top end of the league, but actually... Leicester and Ipswich, yeah, you have to respect what they've done. Those two have had record-breaking starts to this season. But everybody else, from Leeds all the way down to Huddersfield in 21st, there's 11 points between 18 teams. As I said on the last pod, Pete, I honestly believe that the top two at at this moment in time are pretty fantastic, and the bottom three are pretty blooming awful. The rest of that league is much of a muchness really there for me there are there are basically what 19 teams that really there's a slip of paper between there's not much between so the idea that just because we've beaten the team that are in 20th after 14 games Coventry for me are not in a million years the 20th worst team in this division I think it's an absolutely fantastic result and for us to be sat with the only teams who have actually picked up more points than us at this stage of the season, regardless of who we've played, to be Ipswich Town, who've just had a phenomenal run since promotion, and then the three uh, three relegated teams are the only teams. So three teams with enormous budgets because they've just come down from the Premier League and Ipswich, who are just absolutely riding the crest of a wave, are the only teams in this league who have picked up more points than us. I think is phenomenal. And I think for us to be going to teams like Coventry and winning and winning in the way that we did with such a professional performance, I think is just unbelievable. And look, without turning into a broken record, but it needs to be said week in, week out. It's just a testament to what an unbelievable job Carlos Corbran is doing, because let's not forget, he hasn't been able to spend a transfer fee yet for us. And yet he is he's up there competing with teams like Leeds, who are able to shell out big money for Joel Perot and Ethan Ampadu with uh, with with Southampton, who were who were able to throw big money at people like Ryan Manning um, in terms of wages. Um, in, in they they spent some big money on um, Shea Charles and, and and people like that. There's some big big money been thrown around with some of these teams, even even Ipswich. Even Ipswich have spent a few million quid, by the way. I had I saw on on social media somebody said to me, "Oh, Ipswich, they they show what you can what you can do with very little money." Ipswich over the last um, two windows, sorry, the, the last two uh, two seasons have spent six million quid. That's six million quid more than we've spent. So you know, let's not let's not give it the big one about oh, Ipswich are doing this on a shoestring budget. They're not, and they've got enough money to keep hold of the players who are playing well for them as well. You know, Ipswich, what they're doing is fantastic. It's really, really impressive. But let's not kid ourselves and say it's any more impressive than what Carlos Corbran is doing with West Bromwich Albion. What Carlos Corbran is doing with West Bromwich Albion, I'm going to happily stick my neck out here. And no offence to any Ipswich fans, as anybody who, who who's seen my many, many appearances on there, I, I'm big friends with the guys over at Talking Town Pod. But Carlos Corbran is doing the best job of any manager in the championship at this moment in time. And I include Kieran McKenna in that. Yeah, and regarding the quality of um, Coventry, if you look at the table based on expected points, then they rank third. Um, so it's not as if that 
they're not playing well. Their strikers are just having a bit of a mare in front of goal at the moment, aren't they, really? Basically, and they're conceding too many goals, more goals than they should. But yeah, you you look at the chances Hadji Wright had against us, and had he put even just one of them away, then you know it could have been a different game, and they might have picked up a point or or three from it. Um, Well, he's got the second highest expected goals per 90 in the division, Pete, but has only scored two goals all season. Yeah, uh, that's not a very good... Not a very, very good record to have, but I mean, he's still getting in the right position and getting chances, which is which is good. Um, but, and just as a team, you'd expect them to to come good later on in the season. They're just having a, a poor start um, and probably getting a little bit unlucky. Well, it's um, post Jokeresh actual... life a little bit, isn't it, for them? I mean, the the entire the entire thing was built around him last season. I mean, we don't want to turn this too much into a, a, a analysing cov, but in a nutshell, that's pretty much where their problem is, isn't it? They're they're adapting to post Jokeresh life. Yeah, and they had one of the, and if not the best striker in the league, and now they don't have him. So it's yeah. I mean, that's a pretty simple way to to diagnose it, but they'll come good later in the season. Um, like I say, they're probably getting a bit unlucky and don't deserve to be. Down where they are, but yeah, apart from, well, I mean, I might not even include it, switching it, but apart from Leicester, I don't think, like you say, there's too much between the rest of the teams in the league, apart from the bottom three, of course. But like I say, it makes the the run coming up it's possible to pick up points there. Um, Do you fear any of these teams in the next six games, Pete? Do you, I mean, I imagine Leicester probably worry everybody at the moment because they just seem imperious. But anybody else, just because even though they're quite high in the table, does any one of the other five really worry you particularly? Because I'll be honest, I, I don't I don't see any reason why we should have any kind of an inferiority complex to anyone in this league other than probably Leicester. No, I think Leicester, yeah, are just clearly the best team in the league at the minute and um yeah you're probably going there a bit worried but we're playing at home um so we've got you know a slight advantage there so i still wouldn't be surprised to see us pick up a point or points and the same for the rest of the games i think we can definitely hold our own against against basically anyone in the league i'm not expecting us to win win all the games coming up but i don't think we have to be too worried about who we're coming up against because i think i agree with you we've got probably the best manager in the league if not just the best performing manager um because we've got such such a small squad at the minute with all the injuries and the fact that we started with a small squad anyway. But we're still picking up results, picking up points, and we're in the playoffs. So I think it's we're probably a lot higher in the league than a lot of people would have hoped for at the start of the season. I think there's quite a bit of doom and gloom thinking it's just going to be mid-table or, or even lower than that. Um, but So I think we're probably overperforming most people's expectations at the minute. Well, I mean, you say that, as, as you say, about the, the attacking options. I think when, when John Swift hobbled off um, against uh, against Birmingham and then we were, we were told that it was going to be a few weeks till he was till he was back, I think we all looked at it and thought, how are we going to get results without John Swift? I mean, he'd, he'd been everything to our attacking play. He'd, um, he, he was the only player who'd got more than two goals uh, all season. He was our primary threat. And yet, since he's been out, Pete, Two wins and a draw, and the results just haven't haven't stopped. You know, I mean, uh, we've scored four goals in those in those three games. Nothing, nothing phenomenal, but then it doesn't need to be when you've kept three clean sheets. And actually, over the last five games, the only teams with a, who've picked up more points over the last five games than us are the four teams above us and Middlesbrough. The form. I, I, it, may, it amazes me that anybody, anybody, and it, to be honest, the pool of Albion fans who are saying this now is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I think we we, we are really down to 
the belligerent few who who uh, uh, just th- feel that changing their opinion is a sign of weakness, who won't accept that Cor- Corbrand is doing a, uh, an unbelievable job at this point in time. But those uh, those few people who who like to say things like, "Oh, we're being lucky," or "We're still boring," or or whatever. What are you watching at at this point? First of all, there is there is only so many times that things can happen before they're not they're they're not luck anymore. Um, uh, I think I've used this uh, used this uh, used this quote before, but it's it, from from the film Lucky Number Eleven. I absolutely love it. They 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 come out with uh, with the quote. Um, the first time somebody calls you a horse, you call them a jerk. The second time uh, you they call you a horse, you punch them in the face. But if they call you a horse the third time, maybe it's time to go shopping for a saddle. And at this point, the people who don't rate Carlos Corbran, it's time to go shopping for a saddle because the guy is proven time and time again he is a phenomenal manager and just get just get on board um just get on board hms players as the memes show it or whatever you want to you want to call it just get on board with the rest of us because the guy is doing an incredible job and we'll come to analyzing the cov game in a bit of depth in in a second because i think that the way we played in that game highlights it beautifully but I mean, Pete, I'm just always adding one to the numbers on this, but seven clean sheets in nine games. We now uh, we now have kept the most clean sheets in the division. Alex Palmer has kept the most clean sheets in the division. Alex Palmer has kept clean sheets in in 50% of the games he has played this season. All of that is not only outstanding for Albion, it is has us top of the division in terms of those stats. And look, I appreciate that some people want us to play free-flowing attacking football. Well, find me the players to do that. I'm sorry, because we have got no Sarmiento, no DK, no Maja, no John Swift. You know, we, 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 we're starting Jed Wallace as a number nine at the moment because, and I'll come to Brandon Thomas Asante in a bit, but, you know, we're having to rotate Brandon and look after him a little bit. So we've we've got no attacking players. But he's basically created a situation where one goal practically wins us any game. I don't understand why people can't see that that is a fantastically good way to go about things. And it, this isn't this isn't Pulis ball where we are more likely than not to not not score the goal that will win us a game. We are creating enough chances in games to win games. Don't get me wrong; we're not creating a phenomenal amount of chances, particularly since John Swift got injured. But we're creating enough. And when we get one goal, we are so, so hard to score against. Seven clean sheets in the last nine games, Pete, does not happen by accident, does it? No, I think we're obviously a lot more solid defensively than we have been before. And it's a really good way to play with the fact that we're missing out on so many attacking players. Um, You might expect us to to struggle to create chances and score goals, which we haven't really been at the minute. But um, in games that you do, then it's even more important to keep a clean sheet because if you can manage to just nick a goal from somewhere without creating too many chances, then then that could be all three points if you can stay solid at the back. And we've got some of our best attacking players, probably our best attacking players, out injured. Um, like you say, DK and, and Josh Madger, I guess they're probably up there with two of the best strikers in the league when they're fit. Sami and Tua were told, were told when he joined that you know he's got the potential to be the best player in the championship if he can stay fit and, and keep get a run of games together. We saw very promising things when when he was fit, and then obviously John Swift as well, who's been 
one of the best players in the league over the last um, last few seasons. So missing some key players and um, yeah, just staying solid is going to be a really important way to pick up points. Um, I don't think I don't want to get too carried away yet. Like I say, against Co- Coventry, um, we conceded some big chances and, and maybe we did get a little bit lucky to to not concede a goal there. Obviously, just conceding one, we'd have still won. But um, if you look at the expected points table again, then we're we're a bit lower down than we are in the in the regular table. So I think there's reasons to still have a bit of caution. But um, I think we're kind of yeah, we've got Carlos Cobran who's just so so he goes into so much detail um, with everything that he does, and I think small bits like that. Well, like the the first goal, I think we'll probably talk about later. But to me, that looked like it had been they'd done the the homework and that had been almost planned. I think small things like that are going to help you to to perform better than than maybe just the expected goals suggest. Um, and I think having him as as the head coach is, I think we said at the start of the season, but he's probably our biggest asset. Well, let's talk about it now, Pete. The the, the first goal against uh, against Coventry, you know, a big big moment in the game for Albion scoring the first goal. As I say, because we concede so few, is always is always huge for us. And look, it's come from some familiar sources as well. And I want to point this out. First of all, it comes from a Matt Phillips run um, where he does really, really well to retain the ball. And then he feeds, uh, we feed Nathaniel Chalaber who takes a shot, which uh, Ben Wilson should hold, doesn't hold. And Grady Dean Garner following in. And people will call that a tap in it. Watch it. It's anything but what makes it such an easy chance in the end is the unreal first touch from Grady. Because most players, I would say 99% of players, what they do in that situation when the ball comes off a goalkeeper and they are following it in is that they what they will try and do is immediately try and slot it into the goal. Grady knows if he does that, he probably hits Wilson with the with, with his effort because the ball hasn't gone that far away from Wilson that he is uh, that he will be able to get it past him or beyond him so what does he do he just takes a touch just slightly to the left so that he can roll it into what is in effect an unguarded net it is an unbelievable moment of technique and composure it's fantastic and I'd also like to say that that is the last three goals that we have scored when they have both been on the pitch have been a combination of Chalaba and Dean Garner in some fashion, whether it is the crossfield ball for Chalaba to Dean Garner, who then wins the penalty against QPR, whether it is Chalaba's unbelievable feat to then cut it back for Dean Garner or whether, against, against, against QPR, or whether it is Chalaba's shot from the edge of the box, which is fumbled for Dean Garner. So, I mean, there's two things, because I know you've got your own area of this goal that you want to focus on, Pete, which is the the prep- preparatory element of it, where you, you believe that it's something that Corbran has probably given information to the players on the training ground, and I'll let you talk about that. But for me, what I want to focus on is the fact that Chalaba has come to the party in the last few weeks, I mean, Dean Garner, I believe, has been at the party since he got fit. And I don't, I, it, it annoys me. I, I really like the guys on WM, but it annoys me when they keep talking about the fact that Dean, they think Dean Garner's form has just happened since QPR. Watch the games, watch the Millwall game, watch the Preston game. The guy's been unbelievable. He's been unbelievable since he got fit again this season. That is, it's a fact. Just look at the games. 
So don't tell me that Dean Garner's come to the party in the last two games. He hasn't. He's just been absolutely phenomenal since he got back in the side. Chalaber has come to the party and he seems to have a bit of a link up with, with Dean Garner, which is creating goals for us. And Chalaber seems to have all of a sudden given our midfield a new dimension of this offensive threat that we didn't necessarily have before and certainly lost when Swift got injured. And Chalaber has filled the void brilliantly. And Dean Garner is just he's just doing things that a championship player shouldn't be able to do like championship players shouldn't. That's a premier league thing to take that touch away from the goalkeeper. That is that's premier league football. The The way, the way he just destroyed the fullback in the second half against QPR. That's this is premier league stuff. And I wouldn't be shocked if there's premier league managers watching it going, how much do you want for him in January? Because I tell you what, if, if I was a premier league manager lacking, a X factor type player. Certainly if I was anyone outside of the sort of like top six or eight teams, I'd a hundred percent be looking at Grady Dean Garner because he's far, far, far too good for this league. I mean, look, part of me hopes that doesn't happen. Um, part of me says if the club needs the money to survive, then it's the best thing for everybody. But I, I, I want to see him carry on playing in a, in an Albion show because I love him. But I, I like I say, I think two things at the moment. I think Chalaber has come to the party in the last couple of games in a really big way. And I think his link up with Dean Garner and I think the the way he is bringing an attacking threat has given us a new dimension. And I think Grady Dean Garner is just playing football at this moment in time on a different plane to almost every every other player in this division because he he's just he, he's just he's too good. He's too good. He's like a cheat code in this league. Yeah, Grady's been brilliant um, for for most season. It just needs to be consistent. It's starting to come that way. But like with any player, he's still going to have the occasional off game. I don't think he's ever really bad. He just sometimes struggles to impact the game. But it looks like he's starting to add goals to his game again and easy goals, which are the best type of goals for any player to score. You know, you can call them tap-ins, but you've still got to get there to tap it in. Um, The one in the previous game, um, where Chalaba pulled it back to him, he had to be in the right position, had to be anticipating it and had to find the space to, to be able to tap it in. You know, there's still a skill in that rather than just looking at it and say, oh, yeah, that's an easy finish. You've got an open goal to put it into. You've got to find the space to put it into that open goal. And then the same against um, the same against Coventry. You've got to follow it up and then you've got to have the composure to, to take to yeah, just take the goalkeeper out of the game and then put it into the empty net. Um, a lot of players maybe wouldn't have followed it up so aggressively and anticipated the, the goalkeeper um, spilling it. So if you don't do that, then you don't even get the chance to have a tap in. Um, if players don't follow up, you kind of just don't even think about it. The goalkeeper doesn't catch it first time, and then he just collects it after that. And you say, oh, "Yeah, okay, it was a long shot, and we didn't get anything from it." You've got a theory um, on that, following it up, haven't you, Pete? That uh, that you you think that might have been information from Corbran um, because because you were surprised at how aggressively they did follow it up, and it, it looked. I think to you, it looks like an instruction, doesn't it? Yeah, I think. Um, Cole Brown or the coaches or analysts or whatever probably done the research and and seen a weakness in the goalkeeper that he's not the best at catching it. Um, in the I think it was the previous game against Rotherham, I just had a quick look and all four of the saves that um, the keeper makes, he doesn't catch or hold any of them. They all get spilled or palmed down and then collects it off the bounce. There was one, I think one of the shots was very similar location and yeah, a similar shot and it yeah, like I say, it gets palmed down to the ground and then. Um, the goal- goalkeeper just collects it and you probably don't think anything of it but 
if the coach has done the research, then you have players following it up aggressively. And it was both Grady and, and Jed Wallace that were following it up. And it looked like they were just waiting. They weren't, you know, trying to make movements inside the box to receive a pass off um, Chalibur. They were just waiting for him to, to line up his shot, take the shot, and just make sure they're on side to and follow up as as it reaches the goalkeeper. It looked like we were desperate to again, create that shot as well, Pete, because you, Phillips is going across the 18-yard box. It's like he's looking for the chance to shoot. It never opens up for him. So he, he shifts the ball to, to Chalaba. And there's not a there's no hesitation. There's no, there's no, is this the right thing to do? Do I, do I pick my head up? Do I look for the pass? It seemed like in that early stage of the game, it was test Wilson early. Yeah, and the other thing is that with the actual shot, it's you know it's a pretty pretty poor shot. It's straight down the keeper's throat, basically. It's not like he's got to tip it, reach the top corner and tip it over or anything. So maybe maybe it was just a poor shot from Chalabur, or maybe he was focused on getting more power and maybe a bit of movement on the ball, and making it more difficult to to catch. Um, yeah, both both players follow in really aggressively, so it could have it could have fallen to either Jed or or Grady. Jed had a, ma- a man with him, but Grady was completely free, so it's quite lucky it did fall to to Grady. But yeah, it to me it looked like it maybe had been been planned because yeah, it looked like everyone was kind of expecting the same thing and ready for the same thing and just hoping it falls um, falls like that. Because even in the last game, um, I think it was Rotherham created quite a bit of space in that same area against against Coventry, and it, it looks like it might be a little bit of a weakness of theirs and one that we managed to exploit. Um, so it's yeah, I think it was. Brilliant from from Grady from um, the coaches. If it was spotted, um, it may have just been completely off the cuff and, and just happened. But it looked like it had been been planned to me. Away days are great. There's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. And Grady just seems in a really great place mentally at the moment, doesn't he, Pete? I mean, uh, anybody who uh, I, I was I was in the away end at Coventry. Um, anybody who follows me will probably have seen seen the video I posted because I think twenty five thousand people have actually viewed it at this point. But if you haven't, at CJ Hall eighty three, um, have a have a look. I, I filmed Grady as he came over to the fans at the at the end, and he did exactly the same thing after the win at Preston as well. Just kind of like. Um, just the, the the lads were pushing him forward. Jed was was shoving him forward to go and get him to come and take the adulation. He just seems 
you know, there's a lot been said about Grady. There was there was a lot made of a really like half a second clip of him walking out to training in preseason, where people like, uh, or it was it was just at the point he was coming back, and people were like, oh my god, he looks miserable. Or oh, Grady doesn't want to be here. Oh, he can't wait to get out. And it, having worked in a club, it really winds me up when people see a split second of video and they make a great deal of it. It seems like Grady is very keen to show people he loves being here. You you follow his Instagram. He's like, he's constantly posting about the other players. It, they're constantly commenting on his Instagram. He, he loved, he seems to love being here. He seems to be really enjoying his football at the moment. He's playing with a smile on his face and the other lads are shoving him forward at the end of games to say, take the adulation, go and enjoy yourself. Like go and celebrate with the, uh, with, with the supporters. I, I would, I mean, it's impossible to know without knowing the player, but just from what we're seeing and seeing it reflected in his performances, Pete, because he's going out and he's playing with a lot of freedom at the moment. Grady just seems to be in a really happy place in terms of his football, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a few games that he's gone over to the fans afterwards now and it looks like the players are all encouraging it and it seems like he gets on well with everyone and and. On the pitch, he looks like he's enjoying it as well. Um, and that confidence is coming back. And he seems to be one of those players that he needs that confidence and the support of everyone around him, including the supporters, to to just kind of be free on the pitch and enjoy his football. Because when he's enjoying it and is comfortable, he's, you know, he's just a terrific player and he can change a game at any moment. And that's the reason we signed him um, after a really, really good loan spell and under a manager that he seemed to love playing under was... Slavon Bilic, with players around him that he seemed to enjoy playing with as well. So if we can kind of create that atmosphere again with the with the players and uh, the coach and the fans as well, obviously everyone loved him in that um, promotion season under Bilic. So if we can create that all again... Can I just say though, like Pete, it... can, we, can, uh, can we just put a request out there to ban all talk of that? Because I'm so sick of people comparing his performances to that loan season, you know, and I, I, I almost feel like Grady has been such a victim of his own success that people have held him to such a phenomenal standard for so long. And okay, he hasn't lived up to it in previous seasons, but at the moment, I don't care what he did in the loan season. What, uh, in terms of trying to compare and contrast to now, what he's doing now is unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think maybe the loan season even gets looked at with almost two much from positive light. Obviously, he was brilliant, scored a lot of goals and got assists. But I think there's maybe a bit of nostalgia when people think about it. And, you know, the videos that Sky put out of the tricks that he was doing and, you know, um, that little trick to flick the ball over. I think it was against Swansea, the player's head and stuff. But also in that season, he had Pereira next to him, who was just the, probably the best player in the league. And he's maybe not got that at the minute. And he's, especially now that Swift's injured, he's the, the main focus of doing everything. Like we relying on him this season whereas that season he wasn't he probably didn't have that pressure but I think he's performing at a, a similar level if not the same level and he has been for I think even when he's been getting criticism in previous seasons I still think he's been performing and been performing at a really good level yeah I don't think he's that different to, to what we saw in that season and if anything I think he's more of a goal threat now than he was was back then because he didn't get into he didn't get these tap-ins that he's been getting this season and last season he got a couple so I think he's added that to his game. And if he stays fit and is playing regularly, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him outscore his goal tally from, from that lower season. 
I think a few eyebrows were raised um, at, at the, an hour before kickoff when the teams were announced, and uh, there was a midfield three in there of Yukoslu, Chalaber, Mowat with uh, with Wallace ahead of them. Uh, Pete, I just want to get your thoughts on this because I can't help thinking back to last season when we lost 1-0 at Coventry and we did the pod and I was very strong of the opinion that Corbran had made a mistake. Whilst we were relatively unlucky to to lose that game, obviously lost it with a last-minute penalty on the break, I felt we'd lost the midfield battle and I felt his team selection was a little bit naive um, because we knew what Coventry were going to do. They were going to be all energy in midfield, as we knew they would be this season because Mark Robbins's Coventry sides are never anything else. Um, even without Callum O'Hare, people like Ben Sheaf just do not stop. They're, they're, they're unbelievable. They're, it's just always these little bundles of energy that they have in the middle of the park. And I, as I say, I felt we were, we were naive in our team selection there last season. I, I thought it was an extremely clever, pragmatic team selection this time around. I thought the three in midfield, we we won we won the ball back so many times. Um, uh, the the work rate of Yukoslu, Moat, and Chalaba was brilliant, and they complemented each other so well. Yukoslu just sitting in there, Chalaba being the one who had a bit more license to to, to go on and get into offensive uh, areas. And then uh, and he's just got this wonderful technical ability about him. And then Moa just being Moa and, uh, and, and just, I mean, he had nearly twice the progressive distance of ball carrying than anybody else in the Albion team. He was just picking the ball up and he was driving through midfield and getting us forward. And, and Jed Wallace up top, interestingly, Jed Wallace's average position was actually deeper than Grady's. So he was dropping back into that midfield and, and giving us an extra man in there. Now, obviously, game state plays plays a part in this because we went 1-0 up quite early on. So we didn't need to attack the game in the same way as we would have done had it been nil-nil for a longer period of time. But I just thought that the team selection and the players in midfield was... I wonder whether I wonder whether he before the game he looked back at last season and where perhaps perhaps he got it a little bit wrong and and the game was just a bit too open Pete because we missed some chances in that first half um at uh, at their place last season but they missed some big big chances and uh, you know definitely somebody should should have scored before long before the last minute penalty and I don't think Corbram wanted it to be that type of a game and uh, and I wonder whether his team selection was because he's still a young coach learning and I wonder whether that was him learning a bit of a lesson of how to set up against Coventry City. Yeah, it was a strong a very strong midfield. Yakuzhl and Moat especially together is a very tenacious pairing in terms of defence. You know, Moat's got the energy to, to go forward and press and he does it really well but also putting a tackle in the defensive half and Yakuzhl is just an extremely solid Defensive midfielder, and I think they protected the back uh, the back three really well. Chalaber had his involvement as well, um, but on the ball, Mo is yeah just brilliant and always so involved. I think he had forty one passes and seventy eight percent accuracy whilst trying to move the ball forward and down the line quite a few times. So it's he did well there, and, and Chalaber was quite interesting because he in the um, opposition's half, he the only passes he attempted were in. We're in wide positions, um, out wide right. So um, it's like when we move forward, he was really there to support the to support Pippa and, and Jed O'Grady when they moved out there. Uh, it was similar to what Malumbi was doing for 
for parts of last season in the in the second half he was almost playing as a right winger and overlapping a lot um but then in the defensive half Chalabu was a bit more central and um I think that's just kind of you know funneling into the defensive box when we're trying to defend and you know helping to protect that box and after we'd got the goals we really limited um Coventry and I think uh limited them to to few chances and I think the midfield trio was was a really big part of that well, let's just talk about those numbers a little bit, Pete, because the first half, I, I mean, I, I agree with you to an extent. I think the first half was probably just a little bit too much of an open affair um, after the goal for, for, for Corbrand's liking. Um, and they, 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 had, um, they had 11 shots in that, in that first half. Although, to be honest, not many of that higher value. Um, the biggest chance they had in that first half was um, uh, Hadji Wright had one where he's tried to, he's, he's literally about five yards out and he's tried to outside of the boot it. And for some reason, he's put it wide. That had an XG value of 0.55. I mean, uh, Coventry over the whole game had uh, had 1.8 XG. And of that... 0.89 of it came from two Hadji Wright chances. The one that he hit with the outside of uh, outside of his boot, and then the one obviously where he went through one on one and he's uh, he's put it wide. But in that, I mean, I, I would imagine Corbran. I said I said to my dad during the first first half, I said we we just need to get to half time here uh, with about 15 minutes to go in that first half. I said we just need to get to half time here because. If this carries on like it is, there's no way we win this 1-0. And there's no way we keep a clean sheet. But Corbran got them in at half-time. And my, I've seen people ask questions like, does Carlos Corbran put too much information into the players? Well, if that's the case, how come he is so good at, in 15 short minutes at half-time, always sending them out to give an improved performance in the second half? And the way... The the way he set them up for the second half was unbelievable. Yes, they've had the massive chance from Hadji Wright, but that has only come about because Alex Moat has tried to slide in and intercept a, a through ball, and he's in effect poked it through as a through ball for Hadji Wright. It's really bad luck actually that that ball runs through for Hadji Wright. It's not it's not in any way, shape, or form down to defensive error or anything like that. So they've had that chance. Other than that. They have had three shots in the whole of that second half. Not a single one has had an XG higher than 0.06. So, I mean, that that basically means it, it's it, it's going to go in like you know um, once in every fifteen times. It's not it, it it it's not a good it's not a good level chance by any stretch of the imagination. They didn't create anything in that second half. Corbran got them in at half time. And he's just the, the information he's able to get into players is incredible. You you saw an improved performance in the second half against Plymouth, an improved performance in the second half against Millwall, an improved performance in the second half against QPR. It's amazing the information he can get into players and how once he's had been a, been able to see a game and get a feel for how a game is going. He just gets information into players and yeah, okay, our second goal is offside. Nobody's going to hide from that. Um, but to be honest, even if that goal isn't given, Pete, I'm still fairly confident we go on and win that game 1-0 because Coventry are creating nothing 
in that second half. And I'm not having this rubbish talk about they should have had a penalty either. I'm I'm sorry. Maybe just maybe this the, the, it goes similar to that um uh, to that the argument we had after the Bristol City game about the major one. Can you really expect the referee to give that in real time? It uh, Kipre's body goes towards the goal, but he's pulling his arm away. It's very high up on him as well, so it might be sleeve, it might not. It's one of those you'd need to slow it right down to determine whether or not that's uh, that's a penalty. The, uh, I had one Coventry fan message me uh, and tell me it was quote Stonewall. I'm sorry. If that's a Stonewall penalty, we might as well all as well all pack up and go home. Because, as I say, yes, his body goes towards the ball, but his arm is coming away from it, and it's high up on his arm. It might even be sleeve. It might not. I'm not saying it do- doesn't necessarily get given in the in the Premier League by VAR, but you know the reality of the situation is similar to our one at Bristol City. If you need to, I don't want VAR in the Championship, and if you need to watch it that many times and slow it down that many times to be sure it was a penalty. You cannot moan that the referee didn't give it in real time. The only thing you're complaining about is that you want VAR in in the championship. And if that's what you're saying, you're on a different page to me because I don't. So, you know, uh, not having that argument whatsoever. But yes, our second goal is offside. It should not stand. But even if it doesn't, Pete, I'm, I'm so confident that we were so rock solid in that game in that second half that we probably go on to win the game one nil anyway. Yeah, the, you know nobody's going to argue that the goal was offside, but that's just the nature of the championship that you don't have VAR and. Well, that linesman on that side, Pete. I was watching him in the first half because he was he was guessing at a few to do with us. I, uh, I, they they might want to they might want to go and test his fitness or something because he was behind the play on a number of uh, on a number of decisions. He's either slow to react or slow to run, but he was having a bad game all game. He was behind the play, and that's why he's ended up guessing and giving Brandon onside because he's he's well behind the play when Brandon makes the run. I hadn't noticed that, but yeah, it's just the nature of the championship that sometimes things go for you, and sometimes they go against you, and you don't have benefit if you want to call it that of having VAR to to go into the, the tiny detail of it. And even if we had, I'm, I'm not convinced that um, handball would have been given. Yeah, it's hard to like say that qualifies as clear and obvious, isn't it? Yeah, Kipro looked like he was moving his arm away from it. And when you look at it from behind the goal, it, I'm not even sure it hit him low enough on the, the arm for it to count as a handball because it's got to be the anything above the sleeve isn't considered the arm or the hand, is it? So, yeah, it's, it's two decisions that, Maybe, well, one we were definitely fortunate with him, and the other I'm, I'm not so sure. But either way, we got the first goal, and once we get the first goal, we just seem to be so solid in in seeing out games and limiting the opposition to to very few chances and generally pretty weak chances. We gave Hadji right that chance, but apart from that, they didn't create too much after the goal. And I think, in based on the whole game, we were probably deserving of the of the win despite Brandon's goal. But even if he timed his run a little bit too early. You can't take anything away from the finish because I don't think any goalkeepers in the league is getting anywhere near that. Um, it was right in the top corner and he hit it Here, hard as well. And Here's a question for maybe, you. That, um, sorry, Pete. Here's a question for you on that one that, that my, my dad and I asked each other in the stands and I'll put it to you. Does Brandon finish like that if he hasn't just put the penalty away at QPR against QPR? Maybe not. Maybe that's what it is and it gave him the confidence. But yeah, I think it's probably, you know, silenced a few pe- people for a bit saying he's not a striker at all and and can't finish any chances. Being a striker, it's just about getting chances and 
he should have had another one a couple of minutes later though mate um or either that or he should square uh, to be honest he shouldn't have another one he should bl- he should blooming square it for uh, for grady shouldn't he yeah he definitely should have squared that um but yeah like i say with a striker if you're getting chances you're gonna miss some everyone does um even early harlem misses chances but his real strength is that he gets so many chances. So, it's, yeah, in general, it's just more important for a striker to get chances rather than to put away every single chance he gets. Um, and if, like you say, if the uh, the penalty um, has given Brandon confidence, confidence, then hopefully when he gets chances at the minute, he's going to be putting them away a bit more um, regularly than he, he was at the start of the season. And then, you know, everything kind of evens out over the whole season. Um, if the finish was done on confidence, then, yeah, hopefully... You, He'll bag a few more in the, the next couple of weeks. I've, I've saved him up because they say you save you save the best till last, Pete. Um, and I've got to I've got to talk about him, Matty Phillips. I mean, it seems like we, we just every. I mean, we could do a segment on Matty Phillips every week at the moment. I the, the, I've I, I can't remember the last time I saw this kind of consistency from an Albion player. I mean. We've talked about a few people in there. Uh, Brand, uh, um, Brandon did really had a really good impact. Grady had a had a phenomenal game. I thought the three centre halves, by the way, were just so on it. I thought that was the best game I've seen Eric Peters have uh, have for us. Um, I, I, I thought that, that Kipre, Bartley, and Peters were just absolutely phenomenal like all the way through that game but but there was only one man of the match there was only one man of the match and that was Matty Phillips who was just phenomenal four key passes more than anybody else um most shot creating actions four more than anybody any other Albion player um completed three out of four long passes too so he was he was good at getting us either forward long down the line or with big switches and defensively he won four out of five tackles which I've noticed there's an area of his game which I think he's improved on massively because I did think he was a bit of a liability one-on-one um when he started playing this wing-back role but and and on top of that he's he's contributed to both goals he's dribbled across the field for the first goal which has ended up with the ball getting to Chalaba for the shot which then uh, you know Grady takes uh, takes a touch goes around the keeper and scores and then whether whether or not Brandon well Brandon is offside for the second goal nobody denies that but that's not Matt Phillips, Matt Phillips's problem the ball he waits with the outside of his boot around the defense is just is gorgeous. It's weighted to perfection. Yeah, Brandon's gone a second early. That, as I say, that really isn't Matthew Phillips's problem. But well, I mean, suppose you can say it is on the passer to a certain degree. But nonetheless, the weight of the ball is just absolute perfection. He just—I'm struggling to pick fault with what he's doing, and he's—he's he's winning the ball in the air as well for us as well. His, his aerial data is decent. I mean, much as he was when he got injured last season, Pete. He's basically become our most important player. Yeah, he's incredibly, um, incredibly consistent. He's probably doing more work and doing more miles in each game than um, he has been for the rest of his career, which is kind of a shock in itself because he's so, he's just up and down all game and he seems really fit at the minute to be able to sprints that he's putting in and, and stretching the, the opposition back line, but then also getting back to, to help out the back five and... Um, support Eric Peters. Um, it's incredible that he's doing that at this stage of his career. Hopefully, it doesn't cause us any issues going into winter because we all know that 
you like to get a hamstring injury around about Christmas. So hopefully yeah, he's may- injury free. Maybe just um, the tactic this year is don't bring him on for the last 20 minutes of an FA Cup third round replay where, where we're already 4-0 up or 3-0 up, mate. I think I think that might be the lesson this year. Yeah, hopefully Coffran's learned his lesson with that one. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed he can stay fit because, it, like you say, he's been incredibly cons- consistent and, yeah, the dynamism in his play as well to be able to sprint and, and just be so direct, it, it makes sense why he's playing over Townsend because I don't think Townsend can play like Phillips does. Well, let me and let he's... me put it let me put it this way, Pete. Um, who, who scored? As you know, splits um, splits attacks into three uh, three quadrants: left side, cent- center, and right. Fifty-two percent of our attacks against Coventry came down the left-hand side, Matty Phillips's side. Yeah, that really doesn't surprise me, and I think it's probably similar in in most games at the minute. Um, yeah, he's just so direct in what he does, and everything just seems to be working for him at the minute. He's making the right decisions when he gets the ball in the final third, like to lay it off to Chalaba. He could have had a shot for Grady's goal to lay it off to Chalaba. Um, he could have had a shot and we maybe wouldn't have had it from such a good angle. He was getting closed down, um, but he drew in the player, laid it off to Chalaba and, and you know, that's what created the goal, basically. So, Is he the most intelligent player in our squad, Pete? Um, I, I, just, I think his football intelligence is unbelievable. Yeah, it's definitely up there, isn't he? And it's hardly surprising because he's had so much experience playing football in at you know at the top level for most of his career under some very good managers as well. So he seems to be really mature um, and and just kind of know where to be, what to do. Um, and I think that's probably why he's performing so well at the minute. But Corbyn seems seems to have carved out the perfect role for him, and is just really getting the best out of him. Just going back to the the defending number, and I just I just want to throw a bit of a stat to you. This this is one of those that I've uh, that, that I've I've dug out and I've um, I've kept in my little back pocket and not told you when we've had our chat off air because I just want to want to sort of see your reaction. You might already know this, but um, we we won twelve of our thirteen tackles against Coventry, so we only lost one tackle in the whole game. Obviously, we have the most clean sheets in the league with uh, with seven, so we've got in that sense, the best defensive record in the league. Yet, Pete, very interestingly, we have committed the least fouls in the whole of the championship. We've committed 103 fouls, and it's not even close to the next least because the next least has committed 19 more than our 103, which ironically is... um, is is the team that we play this weekend? So it's the meeting of the of of the two least uh, the the two teams that have committed the least fouls in the division, Albion versus Hull. Um, so don't don't expect it to be a particularly spiky affair with 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 a, with a lot of kicking going on. Um, but the point I'm trying to get towards is how on earth do you keep the amount of clean sheets that we do? that without committing with committing so few fouls it doesn't because because it seems it doesn't seem right it it seems like teams naturally would be having a go at you for a lot of the game because as well game state in a lot of those games we've gone ahead at some point in the game because you can't be behind if you if if you haven't conceded so we've been we've been ahead in quite a lot of those games which means teams have been attacking us to try and break us down so we've been defending for long periods in a, in a in number of those games and yet we've made by a mile the least fouls in the league it it shows i, I don't know whether it's something off the training ground that um 
that Corbran is doing where we're working so hard on our one-on-one defending on uh, on when to put a tackle in and if we do put a tackle in to make sure that it's clean but it the I would I would not expect the team with the most clean sheets to have made the made the least fouls uh, I I I'd expect it to actually be the other way around to be honest with you yeah, we've got the the highest um, percentage of our tackles that we've won as well, which you know probably adds up when you committing the least fouls. You you're winning your challenges cleanly and and getting the ball when you're going for a challenge rather than than um, not winning the ball back and and not completing the tackle. Um, so yeah, we just seem to be really precise, I guess, with our tackling. Um, and, and when we do go in for one and, and go for that duel, then then we come out on top, which is yeah, really important to for keeping clean sheets, obviously. And I think a lot of that probably comes down to to just you know, kind of the, the old football cliche of just wanting it more, getting in for those jaws. Yeah, quite often the the player that wants it more comes out on top, and um, if you can do that and then win the tackle, then it it shows that desire. And um, which is ironically something we've criticised this uh, the, the, this Albion team for over the last few years. It seems like Corbran hasn't just flipped our tactical plays, flipped our mentality as well. Yeah, and it probably also links back to what you said about Grady that he's enjoying his football more. It seems like there's a, a good atmosphere within the dressing room, and the players are fighting for each other. And yeah, they want to win the games and want to help each other. And that's um, that obviously impacts every single player on the pitch. They perform that a little bit better if, if they're working as a team and happy to be part of that dressing room and play under that manager. So creating that atmosphere, which you can probably say we didn't have under um, a couple of the previous coaches. A few players probably didn't want to play for them, and then you know that that kind of breeds and. And the yeah, the atmosphere of the dressing room and the players just isn't where you need it to be at, and then you start to to lose maybe some of your jewels, some of your fifty fifties. And does and everything that... also become a lot easier, Pete, when you've got clarity of instruction and you just you're going out onto the field every week knowing what you need to do? Surely, as well, everything, whether it's just a single tackle or a pass in a game, becomes easier when you know you're calm in your mind because you know what you're doing. Yeah, I'd say so. And the key bit of that isn't just filling players with tons and tons of information because they're not going to take it all in. I doubt there's players in the in the playing squad that have got the same kind of mentality and, and knowledge of Carlos Corbran and his coaches. So it's it's about giving them the key details and not kind of overwhelming them as well and feeding that into them through the, the coaching that they do in the week and, and the drills rather than just giving them tons and tons of information that it's unlikely to, to actually sink in and it might even confuse them. But getting the, the key information and making it simple for them to understand is, is what's really important. And at the minute, it seems like it, it's that is what's being done because players seem to know what they're doing. They never seem to be kind of confused about where they need to be or, or what they need to do when they do win the ball. Um, There's no so panic, is yeah, there, at look, the moment? No, absolutely not. And it probably helps with some of the players that are playing as well. Um, Kipre is always calm on the ball. Start of the season, we were thinking he's maybe a bit too calm on the ball. But then in midfield, you've got Alex Moe, who um, is just so composed on the ball. And other players around him as well. We've already mentioned Matt Phillips's intelligence being on the pitch. And Well, Pete, um, we, we, we've statistically got the oldest starting eleven. the oldest... Uh, we've, we've played the oldest average age of players out of the whole championship. Now, we've talked about that, obviously, as a negative, And there is a negative there because... 
you know, at some point that this squad is going to age quite quickly and and we're going to have to replace a lot of these players. But the, I suppose that, uh, and, and the other negative is, as a season goes on, can we get a full season out of all of these players given their age? But the massive positive has to be the amount of, football intelligence and experience that we've got out on the pitch week in week out probably again leads to calmness and leads to an ability to take on the information that Carlos is putting across yeah there's positives and negatives isn't there of having any kind of age of the squad um having an older squad they might not have as much energy as a young squad and not be as suited to really high and intense pressing but we seem to adapt that to the to the opposition and, and change it each game um like against Coventry weren't as aggressive with our pressing as we were against um, QPR. Um, There's a huge difference in that. So, you know, having the the plan to adapt that game to game and not just having one game plan um, is important with that. But having an older squad also brings more experience and probably more intelligence and, and calmness in different situations. So, if that's what we can, if we can make the most of that and use that advantage, use that benefit to use that advantage to benefit us as much as possible, then. Um, you know, you, we're, we're doing well because you can only work with what you've got um, and there's no point just absolutely flogging the players to, to sprint after every to sprint towards the defender every time they've got the ball and just go crazy with the pressing because when you've got a squad that, that age then you probably see more injuries and you probably you probably see them not have as much energy late on in games and then you then you struggle. So I think Corbrand's ability to, to see that and adapt each game to, to the opposition and, and not overwork the players but use the their experience and get the best out of having an, an old playing squad is what's seen as doing so well in the league at the minute. And rotating the players as well, Pete. Uh, you know, I mean, and this will will the last thing we'll talk about. But I just want to want to make this point that, and I've said this a few times, people have a bit of a misconception that when players don't play, they're dropped. And I really don't see it like that in modern football at all. You you look at the way Corbran rotates his squad around. He seems at the moment to like leaving. Brandon out away from home going with Wallace uh, as the centre forward and he's he's looking after Brandon to a certain degree because we definitely burnt Brandon out at the end of last season when DK got injured and we we flogged every minute we could out of out of Brandon and I think maybe there was a thought process oh he's a young man he can handle it well he he, he didn't and also when the goals stopped coming you need to give him a, a rest a little bit and he's come out the side for uh, for a little period and he's come back in against QPR and and he's he's got a goal. He's looked refreshed. He's back on the bench against Coventry, but he gets enough time to impact the game, and he scores another goal. And you know, suddenly the the kid's got two two in two after not having scored since August, and he looks and he, and he looks a different player. And we talked about this last week, Pete. That it seems like every time he rotates that midfield, he gets a tune out of them, and it doesn't seem to matter what combination of Yukoslu Moat. Chalaber, obviously Malumbi's playing a little bit less at the moment, but what combination of those players? He gets a tune out of them. He he, he swapped Furlong and Pippa over. I, I'll be honest, I, I need to see a little bit more of Pippa. I, I wasn't entirely convinced. Um, I, 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 I thought he... I, I wasn't surprised when he was brought off towards the end of the game because I, I, I thought defensively he looked a little bit of a liability. He does look exciting going forward, I, I'll grant you that, but just need to see a little bit more of him before I've... Uh, which is why I've not really talked about him today. I think I, I'm, I'm still making my mind up a bit about him but then he and when he had options up front he 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 was rotating swift Dean Garner Wallace Sarmiento I, I I just think his use of the squad 
And you and you you know you're saying there about we've got to make sure these players don't burn out. We've you know got a long hard winter ahead of us, and it is an old squad, and we can't afford. And we've already got a ton of injuries. We certainly can't afford any more. And if you try and get loads and loads of minutes out of everybody, then you're almost certainly going to get injuries. The only players at the moment who seem to be playing every single game are Phillips, obviously the goalkeeper, but then that that goes without saying there's less worry of fatigue there. Phillips, because he seems completely indispensable. And at the moment, it's the three centre-halves. But again, he's had his options cut down there with an injury to injury to Ajayi. So... You know, it's not it's not necessarily as, uh, as surprising there, and I think he I think he's not completely convinced Caleb Taylor's quite ready at the, at this point. So really, the the only positions where he's playing the same players is either because Phillips is just playing too well to ever have him outside at the moment, and he's obviously an injury concern because he's got a history of injuries. And then the three centre halves, which just seems to be down to a lack of options, and because he probably doesn't want to throw a young man in uh, too much at this moment in time. But everything, everywhere else in the team, he just seems to be rotating his squad so intelligently to try and look after these players, both form and fitness. Because I think he's, I think he's done an amazing. Brandon's the one I focus in on a little bit here. I think he's done an amazing job of looking after Brandon in the last few weeks, where we could have kept sending Brandon out there and out there and out there looking for this goal that he's not been able to score for nearly two months, but he didn't. He pulled him out where it was right to do so. He's put him back in. And in the end, the goals have come from Brandon, but because they've come from elsewhere in the meantime, while Brandon's been out the side, it's took the pressure off him. And I just think he's done a wonderful, wonderful job looking after players. Yeah. And it was similar at the start of the year. In terms of the strikers being rotated, it seemed like whichever striker out of DK and Thomas Sante didn't start would come on and score a goal. And it's like the players know that they've not been dropped. Um, it's not a punishment not to start the game. It's just that sometimes you have to rotate for fitness and just for personnel personnel as well, um, depending on who you're playing. But I think as long as the players know that, then they can kind of respond to that and know that it's not a punishment and that they've not lost the chance of starting games in the future. That it's, it's simply just rotation and um, they will be given a chance later on in the game as well to come on and, and impress. Um, Brandon seems to be one that benefits more than a lot of others from that. Like I say, at the start of the year, it, it seemed to work perfectly with him and DK rotating. And um, yeah, recently he's got two goals in two games. So he seems to be benefiting, but the same with the midfield and everyone else that's been rotated in and out. Mo had to wait a while to get a start, but as soon as he came in, he's been put in He's been probably one of our best performers. Um, so I think it's all about the atmosphere within the dressing room and the squad and the trust that the players have in the manager and vice versa. You know, generate generates this um, this atmosphere that players are happy to play under the manager and they're not they're not falling out with him just because they're not starting one game. Um, they trust him to to get the best out of the team and the best out of them, the players. And I think whilst things are going well, then I can't see why any player would uh, kind of question Corbran at the minute. So the kind of results are also breeding confidence, I think. And let's hope that um, the the result gives us even more confidence uh, on Saturday when we face 
Hull City at the Hawthorns. Um, Pete and I will be back after that game to uh, to reflect upon the battle of the two teams who have conceded, who have committed the least fouls in the entire championship. There's a snappy, snazzy marketing angle for Sky Sports to go with on uh, on that game. Uh, if that doesn't sell it, I don't know what will. But yeah, we will be back after the whole City game again. Um, this pod's a little bit later than uh, than usual. We might be uh, we might be a little bit later than usual. I think it might be um, early very early part of next week uh, that the pod drops as opposed to the usual um, Sunday pod. Um, Pete's just got a few logistical things to uh, to work out, but um, we'll uh, we'll have him back in fine, fine blighty um, very, very soon. Uh, so all things will return to normal. But yeah, just for um, just for this, uh, th- this week's worth of pods, um, we're, we're just, they're just going to drop just a little bit later. So don't panic if, um, as, as if, as if you sit there thinking, where's Albion analysis? Where is Albion analysis? Yeah, I'm, I know. I know you're all frantic thinking, where is my pod? Where is my pod? It could, of course you do. Of course, that's what you're thinking all the time. But no, don't worry if uh, there's not a pod there uh, by uh, by Monday. There will be a pod. It just might be a little bit later than usual. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.